Mental health during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mental suffering before and during. This is Shira Volmer, MD. I'm a psychiatrist at the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Thank you for joining me for this seventh episode in my series of podcasts on mental health during the coronavirus. This series is about keeping yourself and your patients mentally healthy in this unstable and scary world. These podcasts will be published weekly by primed.com. Today's topic is about mental suffering before and during COVID-19. Let's talk about symptoms. Symptoms are a sign of the existence of something, especially of an undesirable situation. Examples of symptoms include not eating well, not sleeping well, apathy, and ruminative thinking. When mental symptoms cluster and persist, then psychiatrists sometimes suggest that a particular cluster of symptoms warrant a diagnosis of, for example, major depression, anxiety disorder, or obsessive compulsive disorder. Symptoms are subjective. They are told to us by our patients. Mental health providers try to alleviate symptoms with our tools from psychopharmacology and psychotherapy, which includes cognitive behavioral therapy and insight-oriented psychotherapy. When symptoms are relieved, then the patient has more energy and more vitality. The patient with manageable symptoms can engage with the world on a deeper and more meaningful basis through engaging in relationships and or creative projects. There could be a fluidity to symptoms, meaning that they come and go, depending on the general stressors of life, including health, economics, and family dynamics. Bouncing through these stressors challenges coping skills, and so patients learn to deal with unforeseen events to minimize symptom formation. COVID-19 introduces multiple stressors at once, making it almost inevitable that prior symptoms will re-emerge and or worsen. Coping skills are useful, but they may be overwhelmed, making them only partially effective in symptom management. Let's first talk about the stressors which COVID-19 brings to our functioning status. First, there's the threat of disease, a potentially fatal disease. Life could be over in a short period of time. For a young, relatively healthy person, how do they face this new reality? Second, there's the threat of being a vector, transmitting this disease to one or more loved ones. For a person who in general feels guilty for both conscious and unconscious reasons, this idea of being a vector may simply be intolerable. Third, for many, there's the economic stress of no work and no opportunity to work, along with the uncertainty as to if and when work will return. This economic stress can lead to further guilt of not providing for a family and thereby causing further feelings of guilt about causing harm to innocent others. Fifth, there's the social distancing, which for many means they cannot draw on the support of their children, their grandchildren, or their community. Yes, technology aids with helping folks feel connected to loved ones, but for some, not being able to hold their grandchild, for example, 
is a particularly painful reality which no technology can make better. The absence of touch, in general, is another source of stress, which is poorly studied, but intuitively we know that touch is vital for a sense of well-being. Now let's talk about how those with mental suffering, those with mental symptoms of distress before COVID-19 might be dealing with this pandemic. Essentially, prior symptoms are likely to worsen. For example, a person with obsessive compulsive disorder who washes their hands frequently could increase this compulsive behavior to the point where they cannot engage in any other activity, including not being able to sleep. Another example, a person with an eating disorder who is restricting eating in order to gain control over their life will increase the restriction since life feels more out of control than it did before. A third example, a person with depression who has fought a deep sense of apathy might feel even more apathetic in the face of a safer at home mandate. In other words, although COVID-19 might create new symptoms, the more likely outcome is that folks will experience an exacerbation of their pre-COVID-19 symptoms. What does this mean for the primary care professional or for a loved one who is concerned for another? This means that general questions such as how are you doing in this pandemic are okay, but might lead to a superficial slash socially acceptable response. In that case, the follow-up question needs to be, I know in the past you have struggled with obsessive thinking. How is that going for you now? This question suggests deep understanding that COVID-19, although stressful for all of us, is going to hit each individual differently. And more specifically, it will hit each person in their vulnerable area, which means their area where they have exhibited symptoms previously. If I could make a wish today, my wish would be for all primary care professionals to initiate contact with each patient to ask them how they are coping, and more specifically, to ask based on the history with the patient, knowing that how they have previously coped with stress. If that wish was too grandiose, then my second wish is for all primary care professionals to initiate contact with each patient that they have prescribed a psychotropic drug, including anxiety medication and sleep medication, and for them to reach out to those patients inquiring how they are coping during this time. In other words, do not wait for the patient to reach out to you. The initiating of contact would by itself be enormously therapeutic. The understanding of how they have coped in the past and reminding them that you are concerned that their previous symptoms may now be worse is also therapeutic. My third wish, given the constraints of time, is that for patients who reach out to primary care for mental health assistance, then there's a deep understanding that symptoms are likely to be prominent and that understanding symptoms is the first step to take before initiating symptom management tools. Let me conclude by reminding all the symptoms of distress that we need to look out for in our patients and our loved ones with the reminder that these symptoms were likely there before COVID-19 and now might be much worse. A feeling of numbness, disbelief, anxiety, or fear. Number two, changes in appetite, energy, and activity levels. 
Number three, difficulty concentrating. Number four, difficulty sleeping or nightmares and upsetting thoughts and images. Number five, physical reactions such as headaches, body pains, stomach problems, and skin rashes. Number six, worsening of chronic health problems. Number seven, anger or short temper. Number eight, increased use of alcohol, tobacco, or other drugs. Once these symptoms are identified, then please refer to podcast six about referring for online mental health care. The takeaway point for today is that mental health symptoms during COVID-19 are most likely previous symptoms that were previously well-managed but are now sprouting again. COVID-19 is an unprecedented experience in our lifetime. And yet, old school principles of helping others with mental suffering still apply. That is, understanding symptoms in context, both past and present, is the key to a good provider-patient relationship and thereby to alleviating suffering. Thank you very much for joining me to discuss mental health in the time of COVID-19. I look forward to your feedback and for you to join me for my next podcast on primed.com. I'm Shira Volmer, MD. Until next time, stay well and stay happy.